Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Will Philip Hammond go down in history as the penny-pinching Chancellor? Surprise plans to scrap 1p and 2p coins were unveiled at Tuesday's spring statement, but will anyone actually miss copper coins? Change could also be on the cards for investors in tax-efficient EIS funds. The FT's Kate Bearley joins me to talk through the measures. And have you had cause to complain about your energy provider, bank or a faulty purchase? Evidence is mounting that the Ombudsman system of complaints resolution is shortchanging many consumers. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. 2p or not 2p? That is the question that the Treasury is asking as it assesses the future of both copper coins and the £50 note. The UK's smallest denomination coins and largest denomination banknotes are being hoarded for very different reasons. So is it time for them to be scrapped? Joining me now on the line to discuss is Sarah Coles, personal finance analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Well, I must say I shamefully nicked the 2p or not 2p line from the email that you sent out on the day of the, the autumn statement. But does this mean the end of copper coins or does it really mean the end of cash? Well, I think one of the things that was clear in the um, consultation paper was that the use of cash is dropping quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. So it only actually accounted for 15% of consumer spending in 2015. But I don't think anyone's predicting the end of cash altogether. I think the consultation pointed out that 2.7 million people are entirely reliant on cash and half of them are from households with a combined income of um, £15,000 or less. Indeed. So those people are particularly vulnerable and it, it would be big surprise if cash was taken away from them. Although saying that, will anyone actually miss copper coins? They do seem to be clogging up the system from what the Treasury had to say. I think I think opinion is very divided on this. There are a lot of people who, I mean, one of the things that came out in this paper, that a lot of people are actually throwing these coins away. I know. Um, but plenty of people seem to have a sort of nostalgic fondness for them as well. One of the options that the government has is to do what, what happened in Canada when the penny was withdrawn, in that they, they didn't sort of get rid of them altogether. They just stopped producing them and gradually withdrew them so that people can carry on spending them if they're desperate to hoard their two peas and, you know, buy their coffee with 202 p's or whatever it is but but then, then again you know if people don't want to be collecting these coins then the cash transactions will be rounded up or down to the nearest 5p so they don't have to worry about them if they don't want to and what about the 50 pound note for the proposals to potentially scrap those are really about tax evasion rather than penny pinching on the cost of coin production 
That's right. I mean, one of the things about the £50 note is obviously that it's a lot cheaper to produce one £50 note than, than making up the rest with smaller notes. But the problem that the government has is, is the way, as you say, the way they're being used. So it's hardly ever used for routine transactions, and instead it tends to be used as a store of money. And one of the questions there is whether people are using it for money laundering or for hidden economic activity and, as you say, tax evasion. And there was an interesting proposal in there to introduce a cash transaction limit, which um, I understand they already have in France, Belgium and Spain, where um, cash is capped at €15,000. I wonder how that would go down with White Van Man and others over here. Well, I think, I mean, there's already been, there are moves afoot to make it more difficult to deal in large cash transactions. So businesses, for example, already have to register with HMRC if they want to take high-value payments. And banks will already ask questions if you take large sums of sums of cash out or pay large sums in. So I think we've got controls in a slightly different way in this country. As you, as you say, the, and elsewhere, there are these cash transaction limits, and they have been quite politically sensitive because they do make tax evasion more difficult. But then again, the people do feel a little bit like big brothers watching every penny that they spend. Indeed. Well, thanks very much there to Sarah Coles, personal finance expert at Hargreaves Lansdowne, for giving us a penny of your thoughts. You can read my column about the penny pension chancellor now on ft.com slash money. And why not come along to our next FT Money Reader event, which is all about the sandwich generation, managing the finances of elderly parents and growing children, yet struggling to find time to manage their own. Sponsored by NetWealth, it's being held on Monday the 19th of March in the City of London from 6pm. Tickets cost £35, maybe clear out your change jar to book and view full terms and conditions go to ft.com slash money events amazing thank you sarah <laughs> brilliant well thank you very much for that um we will speak soon but um Thanks, wonderful sarah. it's actually it making me a little while to hang up but just cut me off okay, <laughs> okay <laughs> right. cheers <laughs> thanks so much Another consultation to emerge from the spring statement concerned the future of EIS funds, enterprise investment schemes, which many readers use to invest in early stage companies in return for a tax break. So what could change? Joining me now in the FT studio is Kate Bearley, FT Money reporter. So Kate. What do you think of the news? Well, yeah, so uh, just to, to go over a bit about EIS. So they're often grouped in with venture capital trusts and uh, seed investment schemes. And they're yeah, set up by the government in the 90s to encourage investment in um, high-risk startups. Now, they've become really popular with wealthier mm. investors and a lot of our readers, um, particularly those who are capped out or further savings into a pension due to cuts to pension tax relief. Now, the government has been really trying to push on making sure that these schemes, which offer very generous tax relief, so for example, up to um, or upfront income tax relief of 30%, the government's really wanted to push and make sure that the money is flowing into genuinely high-risk startups. And so yesterday, the Chancellor unveiled a new consultation on a new kind of EIS fund, which would be specifically geared towards this kind of company. They're calling a knowledge-intensive company. And it's basically a company with a very high R&D spend, so potentially a tech or biotech company. And this potential new EIS fund could have four different, or they're consulting on four different kinds of tax relief that investors could get. Talk us through those. Well, that could be either uh, tax-free dividends, they're calling them patient tax-free dividends. It could be deferring capital gains uh, liabilities from previous years or, um, or deferring income tax liabilities from previous years. So it's kind of looking at a myriad different ways of getting getting kind of tempting tax relief for Excellent. this kind of investment. 
Well, it all sounds like lots to, um, to to mull over for interested investors. But as we approach the end of the tax year, um, away from the Chancellor's announcement, the VCT and EIS providers are reporting record levels of, of sales. They're incredibly popular and people were pouring money into VCTs ahead of last year's uh, budget because everyone was actually expecting, or a lot of people were expecting, that the tax relief would be cut back mm. because it is so generous. And in fact, what happened at last year's budget was a surprise doubling of the EIS investment limit from one to two million uh, as long as the money went into these knowledge intensive companies so they've been kind of people have really been pushing money in uh, you know thinking that they might not be able to for much longer and the same in that uh, in the last budget the rules were tightened slightly so that some of the lowest risk kind of EIS schemes or Philip Hammond at the time said that those would be phased out and the impending finance bill will phase those out so people have been kind of getting money into those schemes which will no longer be allowed ahead of time. And finally there's one area of investment that you've separately written about this week that's not attracting much attention equity income. Mm, The the formerly very much loved but currently very unloved uh, area of UK equity income. It's been very much beaten up due to very negative feelings towards UK equities generally post-Brexit and with people feeling a bit nervous about what that might mean. So we've seen some of the most previously popular equity investment some of the most popular investment trusts in this area fall to, to kind of record levels of discount or levels of discount not seen since the financial crisis. Incredible. Showing how unpopular they are. And in the open-ended fund world, mutual funds, people are consistently piling out and we've just seen outflows month on month. So, for example, UK equity income funds, nine consecutive months of outflows from those, 10 consecutive months of outflows from UK all companies funds. Interesting, and you've uh, con- interesting, and you've considered in your piece whether those flows could now start to go back in the other way. And whether there's that's fair, yeah. <laughs> people suddenly start to think there's a great big flashing value light hovering above the sector. Well, thanks very much there to Kate Bealey, our wonderful reporter on ft.com/money. You can read both of those articles in FT Money with the FT Weekend newspaper this weekend on sale from Saturday, or online on our website now. Consumers have every right to complain about the UK's sprawling collection of industry ombudsmen, covering industries from banking and finance to energy, property and even furniture and removals. They exist to make sure we get a fair deal and can arbitrate disputes. But increasingly, they're not doing a good job. Joining me now on the line is the FT's money mentor, Lindsay Cook, who's written all about the issue in FT Money this weekend. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. So what's going wrong with the ombudsman? Essentially, there are too many ombudsmen and too many alternative dispute resolution organisations. They overlap quite seriously. Customers don't know where to go. They compete for our complaints to handle. And then they don't have legal backing in many cases. There are four property ombudsmen or organisations, two energy, more than one in aviation, They're competing. If you buy a piece of furniture, do you go to the retail ombudsman or the furniture ombudsman? It's it's really very complicated, and there's no one body to tell you where to go. No, as I found recently when I had a complaint about my energy provider, I didn't even know that there was an ombudsman, and certainly the energy company didn't tell me. So what do you think these organisations and the industry in general needs to do better? Well, to start with... I think it'd be really good if everybody who calls themselves an ombudsman or a dispute resolution organisation had legal backing. Mm. So if they think the customer is right, 
that they can force the company to pay the compensation they think is right. At the moment, only a few have legal statutory backing that can force companies to, to pay up, and only a few have the statutory backing so they can force members of their industries to be members. Um, yes, so it's, it's entirely voluntary in. for some sexes. It is voluntary. It's a pick and mix. They decide where they do it. Uh, we've had an airline saying they don't want to be involved. Uh, as I say, you have them competing. And as a cynical person, I think, do they choose the resolution service that they think will let them off the hook most easily? In, indeed, and in your piece um, this week, you look at the numbers of complaints that are going through to the various different ombudsmen and the number of cases they're actually taking on and the number of cases out of that that they actually resolve, which doesn't make particularly happy reading. But what solution do our politicians propose to this mess? Uh, differing. I mean, Sajid Javid is looking at having one ombudsman across housing instead of four. I hope he'll insist it has legal backing. That's under consultation at the moment and is due to be sorted out or, or some announcements made in about a month's time. The Chancellor announced a green paper last year at this time saying it was going to take tough action against firms that misled and mistreated customers. Regulators would have greater enforcement rights. An ideal opportunity for the, the compute complaints resolution systems to be given a bit more oomph. Ros Altman, who was a former pensions um, minister, mm -hmm. she's called on the government to urgently review the whole ombudsman and ADR sector. Even Nicky Morgan yesterday, after the financial ombudsman came in for some criticism on television, has sent a, a letter from the tre Treasury Committee asking the financial ombudsman about how many customers have been let down by its untrained staff and the rush to complete um, complaints. Well, it's a fascinating area. Anyone who's put in a complaint to a big company in the last few years will no doubt find it very interesting reading. And it also contains details of who you have to complain to if there is something that you're tackling that's gone wrong. Thanks very much there to Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor. You can read the full article online now at ft.com. Oh, whoops. Thanks very much there to Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor. You can read her full article from Friday online at ft.com slash money or in the money section of this Saturday as part of the FT weekend newspaper. That's it from The Money Show this week. To get in touch with our team of writers or ask one of our experts to look into a financial dilemma, please email us our address money at ft.com or tweet us at ftmoney. And don't forget, you can read all of the articles mentioned and more on our website, ft.com slash money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.